everything that we say is um, alleged or it's a parody, <laughs> whichever is the right one. This podcast is satire. How about the camera never blinks? How about the microphone never blinks? How about the microphone? The microphone. microphone. Never blinks. How about the microphone never blinks? <laughs> Welcome to the Microphone Never Blinks. I'm Megan with my uh, co-host Yaakov. Hey, everybody. Well, we made it to the second episode, which uh, I'm impressed about. And if you're wondering why we're releasing on such a relaxed schedule, I guess all I have to say is don't worry about it. <laughs> yep, we are. Uh, this thing will come out. That is the, the promise I make to the audience is that there will be episodes of it. And that is as much as I'm willing to uh, state. And if we don't want to adhere to the modern breakneck pace of things, then who are you to tell us that we should? Exactly. Exactly. This this episode, we're doing uh, episodes numbers three and four, uh, Smoking and Crisis, respectively. This is still before they start naming their episodes interesting things, so uh, the episode titles will get better. Yes, and they're also still doing, they're still kind of sticking to the structure of having things that actually, having plot uh, details that actually have to do with running a news station, which eventually they'll abandon entirely. Yeah, yeah, they they, they will be getting rid of the extras. Um, although in uh, the commentary for one of these episodes, uh, I think maybe Paul Sims says that he's extremely proud of how little research they did about running a radio station. <laughs> Perfect. Good. I mean, I feel like they... Uh, in this first, there was something in Smoking, in the cold open of Smoking, where uh, Dave and Bill are talking about like how they want to handle some promo where Bill like drops some real radio lingo. And I was totally sold. It sounded legit to me. So, <laughs> so, uh, smoking, uh, episode number three, smoking. Apparently this is the most popular episode or the, the, the episode that most people are aware of. That's so this is another one of those episodes that I thought came way, way later. And in retrospect, I don't know why, because it's a very kind of safe uh, set of stories. You know, there's nothing too crazy. It's it's very very, it's very very sitcommy. It's it's executed very well, but um, it's very inside the box. That being said, I like it a lot. The plot of this is that uh, it's there's a new law that uh, the Station has to become a non-smoking station. Can't smoke indoors anymore. Bill obviously objects to this uh, because he's Bill McNeil. And so Dave makes a pact with him that if he quits smoking, Dave will give up caffeine. Um, and obviously they both go absolutely crazy. And there's one scene where they both end up screaming at Matthew in Dave's office. 
because they're completely deranged by giving up their uh, addictions. I'm nowhere near cracking. Neither am I, my friend. Oh, Dave. And oh, Matthew, what is it now? For God's sake, no one's smoking, okay? But, but nothing! You know what we need around here is an anti-whining ordinance. So just sip your sniveling little lip and all your skinny ass out of here! I don't think that qualifies as cracking, do you? No, no, no. And that was a very, like, that had a very, like, almost vaudevillian rhythm to it. It's like a mid-century comedy routine, almost. It's sort of like a, the way that, like, the ball bounces back and forth, and they're kind of, like, almost, like, pitter-pat. Yeah, yeah. It, um, that, that sort of dynamic comes back later, too, and I think this was, like, the first example of, like, just... Dave and Bill knowing the exact thing to say at the exact moment. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, the uh, the scene where they all where they both just flip out and yell at Matthew is <laughs> probably like one of probably my favorite scene from this episode, and like oh, maybe a top ten scene. Uh, it, it generally, yeah. It was it it was really good and it was really funny. Um, also, as a side note, I am drinking some coffee right now in honor of this episode. Um, I'm having a beer, and it's 10 o'clock <gasps> in the morning. You're having a beer? That I wish I were having a beer. I'm just having this, like, bean juice. Apparently, uh, almost everybody on the writing staff smoked. Uh, oh, yeah. I remember reading that. Yeah, there's... Um, yeah, and also, apparently, Dave was trying... Dave Foley was trying to give up uh, drinking coffee around this time, and Phil Hartman had just stopped smoking. So, and he was kind of worried he would relapse, and I guess he didn't. Because um, he was actually, I was actually wondering this when I was watching. I mean, he had to actually be, he was actually smoking for this possibly? episode. Like that, it, I mean, it looked very real, which I guess if you're a lifelong smoker, you could fake it well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I suspect he was just taking it into his mouth. I, I, it doesn't look like he was um, inhaling. Yeah, inhaling all the way. Um, but I mean, that that just might be because like the the scene where like Dave like confronts him and he's just completely silent and then he opens his mouth and the uh, the smoke comes out. The only way you can get that uh, is to actually hold it in your mouth. Uh, it wouldn't right. look like that if you did it in your lungs. Also, um, it's really funny because he is a smoker, but he's like purposefully holding the cigarette in extremely weird ways every time he has it. Like, <laughs> right. it's in his mouth, it never looks quite right. Right, right. Uh, but I do, I, again, I was chronicling the moments in both of these episodes where I was laughing out loud at home by myself in the dark. Uh, and the, the Bill exhale mouthful of smoke uh, was my laugh out loud moment for this episode. Just I, very, I love it. Great physical comedy. This was, so that was obviously our A story. Um, our kind of subplots are that uh well the the b plot is that lisa is very lisa and saw joe at the movies when she and dave went to a movie and lisa gets very very concerned that joe recognized dave who was wearing a hat um and so a lot of time is devoted to her kind of trying to figure out whether he recognized them um and dave's or joe is acting really squirrely and then it turns out that he's acting very squirrely because he was at the movies with a gay friend and is 
worried that people are going to think that he's gay because he went to the movies with a gay friend. And that was very, very 1995 of this episode. Yeah. Yeah. But nothing, again, nothing particularly overtly offensive about it because within the confines of the character, the way that he's written, uh, you could you would see that character being worried about something so stupid. It's just another one of those moments where it's <clears throat> pretty get gets very clear that this is that the character of Joe Gorelli is mildly fictionalized Joe Rogan because he's right. He's right. It 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 really doesn't feel like he's acting. I mean, it seems like a shitty thing to say about Joe Rogan. Um, eh. But at the same time, like. Is it is it that shitty? Is it that shitty of a thing to say about him? Like, like not really in either direction. I feel like we can just say shitty things about Joe Rogan. I feel <laughs> like that ship has sailed. Uh, I, and I completely agree. I, again, I feel like that was one of those where it was maybe inspired by real life in a way. Um, I also I really really want some like enterprising young media studies student at NYU to like write a thesis on how Joe Gorelli is uh, has a lot of like queer subtext just purely because I want this to be their thesis on television uh, purely because I think it would drive Joe Rogan insane. <laughs> he just the, the, that that's the thing that tips him over the edge into like full Alex Jones there was one other uh, problematic, capital P, joke this week. Uh, did oh. You, did you notice it? Uh, trying to think. Who? G- give me a hint. Who was it from? Or uh, so it was, da- it was a Dave and Lisa in Dave's office conversation. And it is uh, a gross old... Man, not that that narrows it down. I got nothing. Mm. What is it? I wrote it down. There is uh, a, there's a Woody Allen joke. Oh, I'm paranoid. Yeah. I am not the one that wears a stupid hat every time he goes out so we won't be recognized. <laughs> Look, there's nothing stupid about that hat. A lot of people wear hats oh, like yeah. that. Name one. Well, uh, Woody Allen for one. <laughs> So what? That means I'm like soon ye to you? No. No, look, look, he wore that hat when he was with Mia, too. Mia? But I feel like, again, that joke was at Woody Allen's expense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which is which I was relieved by. Yeah, nobody I did the, nobody was given a break to Woody Allen in that joke, uh, even if the joke itself was not, like, not great. Mm. Also, um... They're really uh, so. I, I listening to the commentary. They confirmed the fact that the uh, the wardrobe they changed their wardrobe person. Because uh, speaking of Woody Allen and Lisa, they're really like Annie hauling the hell out of her these first few. Episodes. Oh my god! The yes, I mean, I think it's the costume in the next episode. But I just like paused the screen because she was wearing this like slim fit crew neck blouse and these just like gigantic billowing khakis yeah that's from the next episode yeah. that, that the, yeah that's the uh lisa miller dame explorer uh outfit <laughs> perfect um in this episode i i wrote this down just because it was so such an inexplicable wardrobe choice she was wearing a cardigan 
uh, with like a argyle pattern like across the front and then a yes. matching vest or sweater under it. Oh god, yes. And did, did they sell that as a set? I, I need to know the, the genesis of that outfit because it just doesn't make any sense to wear like and I two separate articles of clothing with an identical pattern that makes her look like she's wearing a sleeveless vest on top of a sweater. They cut it from the same bedspread <laughs> that was like stolen from a log cabin. Uh, also, I noted Lisa's got like the canonical 90s haircut right now, which if I recall correctly, will change over the coming seasons. But right now she's got that like two layers, the bottom layer flips straight out the top layer curves directly underneath it, which is like, I had that haircut. Everyone had that haircut. Uh, it's a, a real classic 90s haircut. Also, have you noticed that just like everybody's wearing about eight layers? Yes. It's, um, yeah, like they, they haven't, like Beth still hasn't become like an interesting, they, they haven't started doing the interesting things with her wardrobe just because she's wearing like 15 different articles of clothing to just look like in that slightly like you know tv friendly grunge sort of way but right. everybody's wearing many many layers to construct their look which is and the suits that there's there's like the, the suits are hugely cut the ties are very wide i'm really glad they changed that wardrobe person oh and dave is like swooping around in that gargantuan trench coat uh, he looks like he looks like uh, you, you remember in the Ninja Turtles where they one of them like dresses up like a person with like a trench coat and a fedora. Yeah, yeah. He looks like he yes, he looks like he's got several like children hidden underneath his trench coat every time he let, he's like flying around the office in it. David Daltman. <laughs> My other couple of notes that I wrote down that really don't have any thoughts behind them, but I felt like they were significant significant enough from this episode. I wrote down, look at that fucking laptop. Uh, oh, yeah, the, 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 the tiny laptop. Because there's just like, it's tiny, but a brick. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's I, I, I'm surprised Joe was able to damage it so easily by fonzieing it across the bottom, because I think it looks like it's built like a tank. Right, it, exactly. Like, he, he just delicately taps it, and it apparently bricks the whole thing. Uh, and the other thing that I wrote down is I agree with Joe that most movies suck. Uh, me, I, uh, I don't go to movies. I don't like movies. Most movies suck. Uh, someone says, hey, Joe, you want to go to a movie? You know what I say? Say, I don't like movies. I don't go to movies. Most movies suck. He's not wrong. He's not. So in 1991, what movie do you think he and his flamboyantly gay friend went to go see? Mm. When did they do Legends of the Fall? <gasps> It could be Dances with Wolves. Yeah, I just I just Googled uh, 95 Oscar picks. Perfect. I'm doing top box office 1995, so between those two. Oh, my God. Toy Story came out in 1995. Pulp Fiction. Could be Pulp Fiction. Could be Pulp Fiction. Could be Forrest Gump, because everybody went to see that, and it does genuinely suck. Uh, it could be Seven. Oh. Yeah, that, that's a good one. That's a good one. I like that movie. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, let's say it's seven. Oh, wait, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert came out that year? Here's one for you. Mr. Holland's Opus. 
At at this point, the only thing I can think of whenever I hear that is just Linda Belcher referring to it as Mr. Holland's old penis. <laughs> just because it's the joke we've all thought of and then it made it onto national television. Right, exactly. Which is great. That's I mean, all all culture now is remixed culture, so we might as well have fun with it. Bill so after they they set up uh Bill notices the um Oh, it actually the the uh, the pole of obstruction is still in these episodes. There's yes. a uh, there's a large column that looks like a supporting column, but it isn't. Uh, that sits slightly behind, like behind Bill and Lisa's desks are sort of diagonal to each other. So if you trace out a line behind them, it just sits right there. It blocks the news booth, so they have to constantly shoot like around it. Um, and it's got these weird tops to it uh, that you only I think see in this episode in smoking. Um, and eventually they get rid of it. But yeah, Dave pins uh, the notice up there. And um, Bill notices on the notice that they have to set up a smoking lounge for him. So they set it up in some like corner area that just happens to have a bunch of like dot matrix printer sheets stacked up. And then they open the window and it's just the the image of uh, Bill enjoying a cigarette under like or trying his best to enjoy a cigarette under like extremely adverse weather circumstances is very familiar. <laughs> And then uh, later, at the very end of the episode, Dave knows that Bill snuck a cigarette because Bill comes back and his hair is all mussed up from getting wind blown, which was such a great, uh, it was it was such a great little visual signifier. It was um, it, it was really nicely done. I thought. Yeah, yeah, I, I and and also, did you notice that that he's basically got uh, Jason Bateman as Michael Bluth hair? Yes, when it's messed yes. up like that. Yes. It actually, like, it looks fairly, you know, it's it's a little young for him, but it doesn't look bad. Yeah. Every time, uh, when Jimmy sees him, um, every time, like, I come into my office and, like, I, some part of me is just dressed incorrectly because, like, I had my shirt unbuttoned all the way while walking to work or something, I think of uh, Jimmy's line, uh, every day I thank God we're not a TV station. Perfect. Oh, also Bill's line uh, suggestion that the the smoking area should be a mobile ten foot radius around him is that's definitely a, one of my top ten. That's just like a very it's just a very funny joke. It's just a great one liner um, because I, I feel like when I think of the comedy, what's great about news radio, I don't necessarily think of it as like a joke machine. Um, it's more about the characters and the absurdity and this world that they've created that uh, is is what stand out funny to me. So it's good to have a reminder that they do have some just like really great pure jokes in there. Uh, what else? Oh, this is the first episode where we find out that uh, Jimmy is politically connected, which uh, really comes to a head yes, uh, when he true. runs for president. Yeah, very true. That's good. I didn't pick up on that as kind of laying some groundwork for what happens later, but that's very astute. Um, oh, uh, Jimmy being the also the like personification of capitalism. Yeah, where he informs Dave that the uh, that the sprinklers that he hooked up uh, aren't real, and that he just like his nephew glued them up there, and then following that up with uh, Bill just is doing like a very bad job of. The, of uh, being the radio uh, personality because his voice just gets extremely monotonous because he's 
you know, right. not able to smoke cigarettes. And Jimmy just like walks in there, lights a cigarette and sticks it into Bill's mouth. <laughs> right. uh, at which point Bill starts, you know, right. being a uh, good Bill again. Right. Yes, Mr. James. What the hell are you running? A radio station or a rehab clinic? Well, <laughs> okay, fine. You just take a few minutes and uh, try to think of a comeback. Meanwhile, I'll get up there and do your job. Fixed income annuities and a related story. Bad news for first-time home buyers who are likely to see a hefty increase in interest rates sometime soon. In Albany today, reaction to the news was mixed. Governor Pataki applauded the announcement, citing the state's heavy industrial base, which is sorely in need of a lift. Um, yeah, I just love those two just like scenes where Jimmy is just like straight up endangering people's lives to make a profit. Uh, yes, I the villainizing of Jimmy James is bumming me out so much. Uh, yeah. Like there's nothing, there's nothing good left, man. Time has destroyed like yeah. the idea of a fun, deranged, extremely rich person. Yeah, and it's like it's not like he's a bad person. It's just like by the fact of the power that he wields over his employees, his eccentricities become dangerous. I don't know. Right. It sucks. It does. Yeah. And I mean, it's not going to get better. Like the prank war episode. No, is gonna it's going to be, gonna be it's going to get worse. Oh, the only other thing that I noted, which <laughs> maybe there's nowhere to put it. Um, so there's there's a throwaway joke where uh, Beth asks because uh, Dave went and got the patch for Bill. Uh, Beth asks Dave if he can go get her fitted for a diaphragm and the entire episode she's been chewing just like wads of nicotine gum because she also smokes uh, and Dave says why don't you just use your gum hey Dave maybe you could help me out too I was wondering if you could go to your doctor and get me fitted for a diaphragm <laughs> Why don't you just use your gum? Uh, and Dave Foley really, like, relished the delivery of that line. Like, he just got in there and, like, wallowed around in a way that was like, listen, I got it. I respect it. But it's also unseemly. You know what? Honestly, I went to go see um, Kids in the Hall live uh, when they came around a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was great, but like, I mean, um, you know, if you're listening to this and you, if you know, Dave Foley's life went very poorly for a while. I don't know if it's still going poorly, but, um, I mean, he was he basically just... like, yeah, it, 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 he had like a horrible divorce. Uh, he was like on the hook for a ton of child support, I think, um, other things. It's all bad yeah i mean he he i think he's mentioned that his wife was like extremely unwell mm -hmm. uh psychologically so when in the sketches where like that required dave foley to be like very angry it was like frighteningly uh like just it was frightening to see how comfortable he was in being extremely angry and the anger that he had on stage did not seem like it was, you know, like good because he's an extremely good actor. It seemed good because he seemed like a genuinely very angry person. Yeah, I've always kind of picked, I've always thought that. Um, it, he seems like a person who 
genuinely caught some bad breaks. Like I think one of the things that happened during his divorce is uh, when the divorce was actually finalized, the alimony was set when he was like making the most money that he would ever make, you know, when he was on news radio and, uh, you know, pulling down how, like however many hundreds of thousands per episode. Um, But obviously that's kind of not sustainable. So he, it seems like he caught some bad breaks. It also seems like he maybe didn't necessarily put in the time to process everything that happened that well. Yeah. Yeah. This is the part of the show where we just conjecture about celebrities <laughs> without knowing anything whatsoever. Yeah, this, this is the reason why we won't be having anybody from the show on here because we will be That's right. making unflattering speculation about their personal lives. Oh, everything that we say is um, alleged or it's a parody, whichever is the right one. Th- this podcast is satire. Yep. Okay, yeah, so uh, let's move on to Crisis, the Crisis. Uh, much less good episode of the two. Oh, inter- oh so I agree. Um, however, uh, this is the first example of the uh, classic Jimmy James bathroom mindfuck, um, which is a trope that I had forgotten about. So when he said, Dave, can I see you in the can for a minute? Uh, boy, that really laid me out. So, Dave, can I see you in the can for a minute? Uh, so I guess the actual story in this episode is uh, there's a, a subway train that gets stalled underground and some people are stuck. Now, this was very quaint to watch uh, in this year, 2018, because as you might know, if you live in New York or you you know follow anyone on social media who lives in New York, uh, we're in the middle of an MTA crisis. Our subway system, which is the lifeblood of the city, kind of uh, one of the class equalizers, uh, is crumbling underneath us. And so it was pretty... It was pretty quaint to kind of watch this episode from 20 years ago where the idea of a subway train being stuck underground for half an hour was a crisis. Although I guess there was a fire. Yeah, yeah, I think that that was the the, the fire was was the thing. Cuz I mean, the train sucked back then too. With like 1990, which took on 1995, it was still was it No, no, Giuliani had already been elected. But yeah, I wasn't taking the trains yet in 1995, not regularly, so I don't remember right. how they were working. Um, and it was the number nine train. Yeah, which uh, I thought didn't exist, but I just looked it up and it does exist, or it did exist until 2005. Where did it run? It ran to like the west side in, in Manhattan? Uh, it ran from uh, 242nd Street in the Bronx to uh, Whitehall, where the ferry picks up. Oh, so it like used to run. I, I used to live like uh, way up on the west side, so it used to it used to run in the old haunts. This is just this is this is subway chat. This is what <laughs> everyone signed up for. Uh, so the sort of the. Again, the the plot of this episode is that it's this great crisis and Dave is trying to kind of rise to the occasion and do a great job directing his newsroom. But everyone is sort of inured to the fact that they're going to do a bad job covering this crisis. And so they're like not necessarily trying very hard. 
Listen up, everybody. This is what we're going to do. Standard subway crisis. We know what to do, Dick. I, I didn't know we had a standard procedure for this. Oh, sure. We send a reporter to the scene. He asks the transit police if he can go in the tunnel. They say no. He says, okay. I go on the air every eight minutes and say, still no news on that disabled train. Business as usual. Let's do it, people. Well, actually, Bill, Bill, yeah, if you don't yeah. mind, I'd like to try something a little different this time, okay? Okay, how about this? Send reporter, transit police, tunnel, no okay. Me on air every seven minutes, blah, blah, blah. Let's do it, people. Yeah, um, I think this episode is a, much like the previous episode, was a uh, Dave versus Bill episode. This is more of an ensemble episode that pits uh, Dave, the optimistic, uh, you know, Midwestern, uh, bright-eyed boy up against a bunch of cynical New Yorkers who just, like, do not care about the same thing he does and have decided to care about something completely different. This is a Dave versus Entropy episode, basically. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, And the thing that they've all decided to care about is the fact that Matthew put in a requisition for a new desk and Dave bought the new desk. And apparently that is, and that just kind of sets off uh, this this wave of, of jealousy and various demands throughout the newsroom. Nice desk. Thanks. Is it new? Yeah. It's great, isn't it? Yes, indeed. This sure is a real nice desk. <laughs> You know, it's weird because I already, I, I kind of miss my old one, you know? <laughs> so now he wants his old desk. <laughs> Why don't you talk to Dave? I'm sure you can have both. Yeah, and I mean, what a desk, too. Did you see the desk? Oh, yeah, it was like bright red. It was it was gorgeous. Really, really great piece of desk. Yeah, it was it was just a very, very 90s sort of like the, the desk itself, like the bottom parts of it were glossy black metal and then there was like a big red wooden block on top and that's just a that is a desk made that year yes that was a, a 90s ass desk and he sort of like caresses it lovingly in a way that's like again it was one of those little moments that i found very relatable because like if you've ever been uh in an office situation where you maybe get you know, whether you're in an office or a cubicle or wherever, you get some sort of upgrade to some part of your surroundings. Um, and all of us, and you're just like, you just turn into Gollum about it. <laughs> like, you're just like, look at my new file organizer, or like, they let me hang a picture on the wall. And it just uh, become it, it feels like such a coup. So I, I, I definitely thought that was relatable. Yeah, I mean, I, I used to work at this nonprofit that decided one way to, you know, save on money was to never purchase any sort of new office anything. Cool. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, there was a lot of, like, chair scrounging going around, especially when people quit or got fired. Like, people would claim their chairs because nobody could get a new chair. All the chairs were extremely old. Oh, I love that. It's like scrapping for refuse. Yeah. That's yeah. great. 
Uh, I remember like when I had just like gotten hired there, like I took, I think an entire lunch break that they had like a pretty cavernous section of this horrible falling apart building on like 44th and uh second, like near the United Nations. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I skulked around like certain parts of the office to see if there was just like quote unquote thrown out office chairs that were better than mine. I actually found one. Oh my God. Um, that, well, that's, and then, that's yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah. I love my garbage chair. <laughs> So so Dave is dealing with all of this. And then at the same time, Jimmy James comes in and starts meddling, ostensibly because he likes to be in the newsroom during a crisis. Um, but then because he's sort of second guessing and undermining Dave's management of the situation and Dave's management of the employees. And it sets up this dynamic that we see through the rest of the series where Jimmy James kind of like coddles and enables uh the weird demands of the news staff in a way that's almost like a grandparent undermining a parent's uh parenting of their children yeah yeah that is absolutely the dynamic there apps yeah you nailed it and we'll see it again and again i think this is kind of like sort of the first example of it um but one of the things that he does is he buys everyone a new desk. Yeah, and, and it's funny that, like, um, you know, obviously it, this seriously undermines Dave. And then uh, Bill says to him, just like, I take back some of the things I said about you. But then Catherine is the one who's just like, it takes a big man to crumble under pressure. And I, oh. I just love the idea that, like, at the point where she thought that Dave did, in fact, get her a new desk because she asked, she has lost more respect for him because of that. What are these? New desks. Where did these come from? Scandinavia. Thank you. I'm sorry about all that stuff I've been saying behind your back today. Good job, Dave. It takes a big man to crumble under pressure so fast. Yeah. Um, and that also just, uh, I, I feel like we do a lot of praising of news radio because it's very good. But in the interest of being fair, it's little moments like that that do drive home how underutilized Catherine was as a character. Oh, absolutely. Like, she gets a line like that and the way that she delivers it is so withering. Um, and it's it's very funny. And she just, you know, you see her maybe twice an episode she comes in she cuts someone down like that and then you don't see her again until the next episode um it's just kind of a bummer i feel like they could have done a lot better by the by her character and by the viewers by including her more yeah every every time i see her like in episodes now it just like gets more and more striking about how they just did not appreciate the, the, the talent that they had or the, yeah. the character that they made. Yeah, and she's never, you know, she seems like uh, an extremely gracious person. Um, and she's never spoken about that being a factor in her decision to leave early. But you got to imagine that it was. Yeah, yeah, it never got better. They never, like wisened up to the fact that they had this great character that they never used um so they just you know stuck her in an episode or two to be uh like you said to cut somebody down uh which she was very good at like you know at least they were playing to her strengths when they were the scene where where uh jimmy like confronts dave about like the morale problem that's caused by the desk issues yes um the one that ends with him there's two things that i really like about it one of that is that 
Uh, it ends with like a genuinely piece, good piece of workplace advice, uh, which is something I had to absorb from media because I had no idea where to get it otherwise. <laughs> I agree. This was like actually, obviously, it's Jimmy James doing his kind of like manipulative uh, approach to managing, but it's him actually being a good boss because basically he's telling Dave, don't let people undermine you don't let me undermine you oh yeah and and the uh the the other thing about and this is this uh, this is all the, the the toilet meeting is uh when dave has to leave and dave's just like well sir if we're if we're done what with whatever it is we're doing here and i feel like that after every conversation with every boss i've ever had right um oh so there's uh there's this joke in this episode oh no wait i get crap i guess it was in the previous episode uh, i was in smoking where uh matthew keeps giving people vegetables for their addictions there's an a, there's a vegetable for everything dave you should probably try cauliflower it's good for caffeine addiction what is with you in that well there's a vegetable for every addiction yeah? what are you addicted to vegetable <laughs> There's, like, little broccoli rubble flying out of his mouth. It's, like, this Sesame Street-level joke, and I kept wondering, it's just, like, what were the writers thinking when they when they put this joke together, like, of this kind of joke on this kind of show? And then I was listening to the commentary, and this joke broke everybody. And this was this commentary, actually, it was Stephen Root, Dave Foley, Joe Fury, and Paul Sims. Um, and it broke them out of their conversation into, like, belly laughter. Like, they love that joke. Which was really surprising. Mm, yeah. Fellas. Yeah. That was a real uh that was a real groaner for us viewers <laughs> at home. I guess one small thing that I've noticed uh between this and Seinfeld and probably Friends, um, is the idea of a foreign food being a punchline. Um in, in this episode, it, like all the way at the end, when uh, the 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 episode ends with uh, Beth and Dave working out his schedule to have dinner with everybody because everybody, you know, because with you know he had dinner, he has dinner with Matthew, and the Matthew right, gets a desk. Right, and it right. turns out he's had dinner with Lisa twice, and now so now the 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 ad absurdum ending of it is that he has to have dinner with everybody constantly. Right. Okay, everybody signed up, and I think I have it scheduled. Okay, on Monday you've got dinner with Bill. He requested some kind of fancy French cuisine. Fine. Okay, on Tuesday you have dinner with Catherine. She requested some kind of fancier French cuisine. Fine. Okay, after dinner with Catherine on Tuesday, you are going to meet Joe at the garden for the Knicks game. He will pick you up in his van. Thursday you are taking me to the Korean place where they let you cook your own meat. <laughs> I'm very excited, Dave. Are you all right? And then uh, Beth is having Beth wants to go to the korean restaurant where you cook your own meat yeah and like that's essentially the punchline um and then seinfeld had another had another one where like uh it's, it's in the episode with the speed dial uh with uh what's her name from the gilmore girls who also is on news radio for a while lauren uh, graham yeah lauren graham uh, it's the episode with uh lauren graham where she plays his girlfriend who puts him on the speed dial right um and he's just like i thought dinner would be better mongolian barbecue sounded good and everybody cracks up and i'm just like what like it, the punchline is just like foreign food is weird right yes okay 
I'm glad I wasn't missing anything. <laughs> no, and I feel like that was a very, I feel like that was a very 90s thing because I feel like even in big cities, kind of the proliferation of every kind of food that you could want and people basically having a very varied diet, especially as far as restaurants and takeouts is concerned, that does seem like a relatively recent thing. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe it's uh, it, it's a thing that you weren't able to joke about on like a national sitcom as easily without like having it be a joke meant for the coasts or anywhere that has a large exactly like, right diverse food population. Right, because most people's frame of reference for you know quote unquote exotic food was like Chinese takeout. Oh, yeah, and I guess it makes sense because both of the – there's the Korean-like place and Mongolian are both uh, East Asian countries that I guess would go over better than mentioning, like, Ethiopian food, I guess. Exactly. Or something you, that, yeah, yeah, you never hear anyone talking about Ethiopian food or anything – or Indian, for that matter. And then at the very end, our kind of closer is that we get Matthew – abandoned in a subway tunnel which i think that's a trope that we're going to come back to a lot which is the episode ends with like matthew in matthew kind of being forgotten in some dangerous or compromising situation and then when we come back for the next episode it's just reset yeah the the uh the credit sequence for this next episode is just an extended like matthew mostly physical comedy routine Oh, they lo they love that. Yeah, yeah, with him, like, dropping the... Uh, he just keeps dropping things in, like, the water that he's in in the tunnel, and then at some point he accidentally picks up a poop mm. or something Classic. Uh, that disgusts him. Yeah. As we're talking about this, I'm realizing that it's... Even though I like it because I, I like special emergency episodes, I like seeing everyone kind of reacting in a crisis. And I do like that Dave versus everyone setup. I like it every time it comes up. I think there's a lot to be mined from it. Um, but there's like not as much. This episode feels more ephemeral. Yeah, this was like not as good of an episode. It, it really wasn't. Yeah, it's interesting because when I was watching these two episodes, I felt like they were maybe on equal footing. But as we've been talking about this, they really were not. So, you know, I'm getting a new perspective on this show from our podcast as well. You know, they didn't even bother doing a commentary track for this. The uh, The commentary track for this one was, um, it was Paul Sims, Joe Fury, and a bunch of uh, NBC suits, just like TV execs. Uh, talking about the production of the show rather than just like anything having to do with right. the episode. But uh, two kind of amazing things happen. One of them is that it turns out that uh, Warren Littlefield, who was the president of NBC mm -hmm. at the time. Um, so, you know, uh, Bob Balaban's, uh, what's his name? Jonathan Darlimple character in uh, Seinfeld, the president yes. of NBC. Sounds exactly like him. Really? It, it was amazing how much Warren... Yeah, so apparently... Bob Balaban's character is based on Warren Littlefield, and I'm wondering how much of that is the fact that they sound identical. Also, Bob Balaban apparently played Warren Littlefield, the actual person in a TV movie about the Jay Leno-David uh, Letterman late-night fight. And uh, the other thing is that during the episode where that had uh, Warren Littlefield, former president of NBC, and, uh, and um, what is his name? Paul Sims. 
uh, he extracts, like, in the most socially inappropriate, amazing way, extracts an apology out of Warren Littlefield for moving the show around so much. Oh, my God. I love it. The, the way it goes is that um, Paul's just like, you know, so we it's like halfway through the episode commentary and Paul's just like, so, you know, we've talked about how much we love everything. So now it's time to get into slightly more contentious issues. Uh News radio was moved around a lot during its uh, during its run. And Warren, I just have a question for you: Why? <gasps> and it's just like this plaintive howl of a why. Um, and to Warren Littlefield's credit, a he remembers every single time that news radio was on, and b he's just like, look, Paul, I just we made a mistake. That's all I can tell you. We made a mistake, and Paul half accepts it and like gets another couple of digs in. That's actually that's that. Good on both of them is what I have yeah. to say to that. <laughs> I mean, I'm considering like the the Paul Sims like fuck the suits uh, article. I, I'm just kind of amazed that that Warren Littlefield like appeared on the commentary and was super good natured about it too. Like the the animosity was entirely one way. <laughs> Um, uh, but I mean, on the other hand, one of these men was the president of NBC, and the other one is like a good producer but not president of nbc yes i uh i respect never letting a grudge go <laughs> also may we all live long enough to extract apologies from our enemies in a way that preserves it for all time for people who would listen to the commentary of a mostly forgotten sitcom for total posterity